As you remain standing, let's join together in that ancient confession of faith, the Shema. If you'll repeat the first three lines after me, then we'll recite the rest together. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. God's word to us first comes from Jesus himself as he speaks in the Gospel of John to his disciples. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And this from Paul to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves receive in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Today's forecast from Jesus. 100% chance of trouble. Tomorrow's forecast from Jesus. 100% chance of trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And if anyone understood that, it was Hungarian native Private Tibor. You may have seen his story in the PBS special this past week on on soldiers who had won the Medal of Honor. Tibor grew up in Hungary as a Jew. And the Nazis came into Hungary and rounded up his family, and his um, mother and sisters were sent to Auschwitz, and he did not see his sisters again. And he was sent to a work camp, but survived and was liberated by the Allies. And when the Allies came to liberate them, he was so grateful that he said his goal in life from that moment on was to be a G.I. Joe. He wanted to come to America and be just like the soldiers who had rescued him. So twice he tries to join the United States Army, and twice they turn him down because he just doesn't speak very good English. But the third time, they let him join in 1951, and he is sent to Korea. But because he's a Jew, because he's a foreigner, because he doesn't speak particularly well, he becomes really the object of many people in the, uh, in the platoon's jokes. Uh, the sergeant uh, abuses him whenever he gets the chance gives him very difficult and dirty uh, uh, detail to carry out. And then one time, his leader tells him, we have to retreat. But I need you to hold this hill against the communists as they come forward. And so he was left by himself on top of the hill with a couple carbines, some ammunition, and uh, some grenades. And there he was left. And he saw then shortly thereafter the enemy soldiers coming toward them, and he said, I, then I began to pray. He said, I prayed to Shema. He said, I prayed to Jesus. He said, I prayed to Buddha. I prayed to Moses. And for 24 hours, he held off the enemy advance and eventually won the Medal of Honor. Did God hear his prayer? We might say so. But he was taken then captive by the communists. And in North Korea, he spent the last two years of the war as a prisoner of war. He prayed to get out. But did God hear his prayer? For two years, he was stuck there. We might argue that maybe God heard his prayer the night on the hill and then quit listening after that. 
But I want to argue today that just because you and I find ourselves in difficulty and in trouble does not rule out the presence and existence of God. I want to argue today that Jesus' forecast was essentially accurate, that we will always have trouble in our life, and that our faith is no guarantee that we will get out of that trouble unscathed. Why should it be? Trouble is promised to every person who lives. We all have trouble. Look around and you see people who have trouble, who are in difficulty. Donna began to pray this morning for people who had different sorts of losses. And, and we see that in our country. We see recently people have lost their homes. People have lost their jobs. Other people have lost uh, relationships. Some have lost an election. Others have lost a dream. Everybody loses at some point or another. Everyone runs into trouble. Uh, My friend David Reed gave me a book uh, that you may have seen uh, called Why Faith uh, Matters. It's by uh, a rabbi in Los Angeles. And he said the seed or the germination of this book uh, began during his own battle with cancer. And he said as he thought about uh, his battle with cancer when he was in remission, he realized that really every human being who's still alive is in remission from the terminal condition of of humans, and that is we're all going to die. Eventually, and right now, we just happen to be in remission. We haven't yet got there. Death, the final loss, comes to everyone. As a grandmother comforted her granddaughter and said, don't be afraid of death. It's only death, and it happens to everyone. Everyone loses. Christian or not. Trouble just is the lot of our life and the lot of our world. In fact, I would argue that the Scripture teaches that those of us who have faith will find ourselves in more trouble than those who don't. That actually our faith will often spur us into trouble. Look at Private Tibor from Hungary. Had he not been a Jew, he wouldn't have been rounded up by the Nazis. Had he not been a Jew, still practicing his faith, he wouldn't have been picked on by the other soldiers in the platoon. His faith led him into trouble. Look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, talks about what what he has done in his faith in chapter 11 and and the things that have happened to him. And he said, five times I've been beaten with lashes, uh, 39 lashes. Uh, 40 was against the law because if you were beaten uh, with 40 lashes, uh, it was anticipated you would die. So five times he got the legal limit being lashed. Three times he said they beat me with rods. Three times he said, I was shipwrecked. And one night and day I spent out on the open sea, shipwrecked. And then he said, they stoned me. Tried to put me to death for stoning. All of this because of his faith in Christ. You and I are probably well aware that in Nero's persecution, many Christians died, about 25,000. Including, according to tradition, Paul and Peter themselves. But did you know that not too many miles away, some years later, on the continent of Asia Minor, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, the churches of Revelation, that during the 15-year reign of Emperor Domitian, 80 times that number would die for Christ. Two million people will die because they're Christians. Did their faith get them out of trouble? Hardly. Hardly. Their faith put them right in the middle of trouble. Our faith does not promise us that we are exempt from trouble. So what does our faith do? 
Well, I think our faith does a couple of things. One is it gives us the promise that even in our trouble, we are not alone. As Doug pointed out to the children, uh, there's a present that, presence that goes with us much longer than a security blanket or, or another person, the presence of God. Our faith also teaches us not to try in these days of insecurity to wall ourselves off and protect ourselves. Our our faith teaches us not to try to build a castle, put a moat around it so that trouble will never harm us. Our faith teaches us rather that we are to go into the midst of trouble and comfort other people who struggle with the same things with which we are struggling. That's what our faith is about. Our faith is not about our own protection. Our faith is not about our own safety. Our faith is about being spurred and moved on to help other people in their time of need. Paul says, we comfort others with the comfort which we ourselves have received in him. Abraham certainly knew this. When God called Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then he said, and you will be blessed to be a blessing In other words, the good things, when they happen to you, Abraham, they will always be for other people. And it doesn't uh, take much to reason that the bad things that happen to us will always be for other people. That they will help us as we reach out to others in need. One rabbi looking at the sad state of Jews in the world and their persecution and their violent deaths cried out to God and said, God, where are you? Send some help. And apparently the cry came back, uh, was answered back from heaven. And God said, I did send help. I sent you. Much trouble, much affliction in our world. And God's plan for handling that, we're that plan. God sends us to help people in their time of need. That's what our faith is about, not protecting us from anything bad ever happening, but spurring us into places where bad things are happening to make a difference. Dr. Carl Menninger talks about one of his breakthrough cases years and years and years ago. Uh, A very well-to-do woman called him one day at home from her big house, and, and she was struggling, a despondent, over a death in her family. And he said, I'll be there. And he drove over to her house, and this is the advice he gave her. He said, you need to get out of your bathrobe, get yourself dressed, put on your clothes, put on your shoes, leave this house, he said, go across the tracks to the other side of town and start helping people in need. She followed his advice, and he never heard about an ailment or a complaint from her again. That was the plan. God's plan is not to keep us from ailments and difficulties, but God's plan is that they will spur us and encourage us and move us forward into the difficulties of others. And then lo and behold, we find that's the healthiest thing for us anyway. The worst thing is to try to put yourself in a bubble. It can't be done. The best thing is to get out from under those bubbles. And even in our pain and difficulty, move toward those in their time of need, in their pain and difficulty. You've probably heard the ancient parable the rabbis told about the Messiah. The question uh, they would ask one another is, how will we recognize the Messiah when he comes? And one of the classic answers was this, you'll find him outside the city gates with all the lepers, where the lepers are. And he said, and all the lepers change their bandages 
And when they change their bandages, they change them all, take them all off at one time and begin to rebandage themselves. But he said, you will find the Messiah because he's the one who only takes off one bandage at a time so that even in the midst of his wounds, he can go and help other people in their time of need. And hence, Henry Nouwen drew the great title for us, The Wounded Healer. Jesus wasn't exempt from trouble or difficulty, but his troubles and difficulties moved him into the lives of others. And it's to move us as well. Now, before we go, before you cross the street, cross the tracks, before you go to that point of need, let me just give you a couple suggestions. The first one is this. When you get there to a person in need, the most important thing that they need is your presence, not your advice, and not even your gifts at the moment. The first thing they will need is to know that you are with them. Oftentimes people in their trouble uh, find in their trouble they can't hear or receive what we have to give them. But if we give them our presence, then after a while they begin to come to a place where they can receive from us. Second thing I would suggest is that when you go, you go not just to give, but you go to receive. I am virtually certain that when our group returns from Piedras Negras this evening, that they will tell stories not of what they gave the orphans in Piedras Negras, but they will tell stories of what they received from them. When you go and meet a person in need at their place and time of need, be open to be blessed and received from them. This is not a one-way street. Too often Christianity just becomes another form of patronization. And we come as, as if we're somehow superior because we've got the groceries and they don't. And we hand it straight down rather than to go and sit and be open to not only give but to receive what others have to give to us. And then finally when you go, know that you don't go like everyone else. You go with hope. You go with hope, not that the current situations in the world will all be fixed in the next few months or years, but you go with hope and the certainty that one day everything will be made right. One day the sick will all be healed. One day the hungry will all have enough to eat. One day the lonely will all be reunited with their loved ones. Don and I had the privilege last Thursday to listen to our intern's sermon that she's delivering in New Heights this morning. And Ashley got permission from the family to tell about what happened when they met her at at a children's hospital here in Texas. They had a daughter who was eight years old who uh, died from cystic fibrosis. And that Ashley happened to show up at the moment of her death. And as they told stories about this eight-year-old girl, they told one particular story about how in science class, just a few months earlier, she had learned the story of how the chrysalis dies and the butterfly emerges. And she knew enough about her life and her current situation that she told her parents with great vigor as she danced around the house, I'm going to be a butterfly. They said they didn't have the heart to tell her she wasn't going to be a real butterfly. But they found from her that hope, that comfort with which God has comforted all of us. The notion is that this pain and suffering that we're sent into is not the final vote and voice of God on the world. The final story is not the chrysalis, but we take comfort that the final story is the butterfly.